can you believe that Inception is, is it over 10 years? It's, yeah. it's old. It's 10 years this year, I think. Yeah, that's amazing. It is, it is amazing. It's like I saw it in a dream. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> the moral of the story, the podcast where a writer, a philosopher, and a filmmaker explore the stories that make us and the morality that makes the story. 2010 was a great year for It movies. really was. It was like Toy Story 3, Inception. But like those, um, those string of films, those 2010 films, for me, felt like they came out just a couple of years ago. Like right. Toy Story 3 and Inception, these movies mm-hmm. do not feel 10 years old. Well, and, and partly I think it's because they are part of the cultural conversation now. I saw right. uh, Scott Adams, the, the blogger, he was saying um, that, you know, certain movies become so iconic that if they're good enough, they become so iconic, yeah. they kind of enter the cultural imagination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Quickly, like, too. Yeah, and like The yeah. Matrix is a great example because right. red pill, blue pill. Yeah, you exactly. Know, yeah, yeah. The lingo of it... Um, is part of everybody's mind. Yeah, definitely. And 2010 was like a big shot of yeah. cultural right. information. Well, and I feel mm. like those type of movies, like I just said, they entered that cultural importance really quickly. Mm-hmm. Like Inception and Toy Story 3, those are really big movies culturally, mm-hmm. r- even though they are relatively young in the life of a movie. Right. You know? Well, and uh, Social Network also right. came out that yeah, year. that's true. Um, and how many people have just copied those movies. Right, exactly. Even now with Christopher Nolan's new movie coming yeah. out, Tenet, yep. it's very Inception-y. It is. <laughs> you know? It very is. Um, very much is. Which I kind of understand because Inception was the last movie he did. Cause did he do that? He did it before Rises, Dark Knight Rises. Yes. Because Dark Knight Rises yeah. was 2012. Yep. But Inception was maybe the last movie he did that was unequivocally celebrated right yeah mm-hmm. i mean interstellar was liked dark knight rises was liked but and inception Dunkirk was is kind of an artsy movie yeah it is but inception was the last mind-blowing right original mm-hmm. right thing which that he did. we should talk about a little bit i, I think it is a, a a real masterpiece of filmmaking writing and, really and i say yeah. re-watching it before this episode watches i think it wears much better than some of his other movies. Yeah, like Prestige mm-hmm. we were talking about. Yeah, yeah, like, I agree with that. It doesn't rely so much on the first the viewing. Kind of the surprise, yeah. you know, at the end. Yeah. Um, particularly when you drill down to the detail that he has packed in the film. I was watching some t- some breakdowns of it, you know, all the way down to the numbers, um, like one four-number sequence that is important in Leonardo DiCaprio's character's memory is like the number of the taxi that they ride in the first dream yeah oh huh. with the one guy and like it and it's in the hotel number also and yeah like all these other things beyond just like the one guy having to create that the code for the safe yeah 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 he's got multiple layers of these things that are extreme detail planning right um, including the fact that the film is structured as a metaphor for filmmaking. Yeah. And that yeah. Huh. DiCaprio's character is modeled after uh, Christopher Nolan himself. Right. Huh. And the children, one of the children is played by Christopher Nolan's son. Oh, I didn't um, know that. And it's, so like it's a real meta story yeah. as it relates to yeah. I wonder if that's Nolan hard himself. for Christopher Nolan's marriage. He's like, sorry, honey, uh, you sometimes remind me of Maul. <laughs> <laughs> well, they talk about that, the, the idea of him, the fact that his dream business 
like making dreams for other people or whatever was keeping him from his family mm. was part Being of movies. the moral like drive for the story yeah. behind Nolan himself. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, huh. And like wow. him being a filmmaker, creating right. dreams for people yeah. and being kept from his family. He is the architect. As he does that. You know, one thing that I do find to be kind of interesting about Nolan, um, and this is totally <laughs> English literature major moment, because this is totally the sort of thing that would have been brought up in my, in my college classes. But he has a very interesting relationship to... Um, uh, sexual things in his movies because yeah. like Maul is a very sexual right not not in a weird way or in a real perverse way but just she's always alluring she's in that every, icon yeah she's yeah. that iconic femme like fatale. Yeah, femme right. fatale and uh, and the same she pl- the Marion Cotillard plays the same figure in Dark Knight Rises mm-hmm. oh, but right. it's yeah. interesting that in both of those movies in, in almost all of his movies just there's not a lot of sexuality at all yeah. in mm-hmm. Nolan's films right. mm-hmm. but when there is it's always something that is would seep the man's uh, energy or his heroism right. mm-hmm. or like suck him dry or break him in some way it's a, it's a kryptonite it's a kryptonite yeah. Yeah. yeah and I find that interesting because in our society no one takes that viewpoint it's actually a really old fashioned mm-hmm. kind of pre-1950s mm-hmm. right. viewpoint on that. Like right. a lot of stories mm-hmm. had that idea of the man has got to do something hard and the woman is holding on to him and she's like, don't go. Or, mm-hmm. you know, or there's the uh, seductive woman who's yeah. like, just just cheat and just leave with in, me. Or, me. And Humphrey Bogart says, no. Or, or yes. So I don't know. It's the old Sarah Vaughn song, whatever Lola wants. <laughs> yeah. And, and so when I yeah. see uh, Inception, I'm just struck by how old-fashioned that side of it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. Uh, well, I was I was fascinated by the um, just the layering of the story. I think is really fascinating. Even you know, like uh, the characters that he brings in, um, and like Ariadne. You know, she's the yeah. character from Greek mythology right. who helps Theseus escape from the labyrinth. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. and how she was the maze maker, um, and. And this is sort of a thrown out there thing, but I almost wonder if there's an entire reading of the film that the whole film is all him creating a dream. Oh. DiCaprio. So, like, there's not actually any reality in the film. Yeah. Oh. Like, even the fact that he finds a girl in Paris with his father in law at the academy who is. The well, that would very much explain. Ariadne I mean, to, to be... make him a labyrinth to to investigate his. Oh, excuse me. Um, that would very much explain the cl- the ending scene. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, because even in the dream, his his part of his dream could be that it's not a dream. Right. Well, and there's right. weirdness. You know, yeah. Like Michael Caine is teaching in Paris. But in he's like, in California. But he's in California he at the end. But and and there are a few things like yeah. that that are not like easily explained. Like you right. could say, well, he travels to teach or whatever. But it's not and really then, presented in that the way. real it's world. Just, you could just say they're plot holes. But <laughs> well, you could, yeah, yeah. But but well, it's, but it's a complex enough story, and he's intelligent right. enough that I yeah. don't want. I don't. And I wouldn't immediately chalk it up to a yeah, plot no, hole. No, I would agree. I would agree. Also, part of it though is just Nolan allowing the genre to breathe because the genre is 
the heist spy genre, yeah. which mm-hmm. Nolan is you know, famous for wanting to have made a James Bond movie. Mm-hmm. And Inception is his James Bond movie. Yeah, like every so. scenario is where Bond might be or where a secret agent would go uh-huh. or, you know, and all the, the cafe and everything. And so yeah. when you see it in that way, and actually Tenet, I think, is another step in that same direction because yeah. it's the same genre. Right. Mm-hmm. So in well, some ways, the, the globe trotting is part of the game. It yeah. is. But talking about James Bond, like the uh, the actor, character, the forger oh, uh-huh. character. Yeah, Tom Hardy. Um, yeah, Tom Hardy's character. Um you know, and he's basically a wannabe James Bond, yeah, yeah, kind of a figure, and the fact that he shows up where he does, um, and that DiCaprio escapes from the chase with uh, the Japanese guy, yeah, you know, showing up in the car, yeah, um, that there's a there's actually a reading where like the whole cast of the movie is a production team of a film, yeah. And oh, so, like, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ariadne's what, the scriptwriter. Uh, working the, out of college. What's his? What's his? Uh, the Japanese guy's name. Watanabe. Ken Watanabe is that his name? The actor. Saito. Or the character? Right? Yeah. Saito. Yeah. Saito in the yeah. film. Like he's the financier. Yeah. Of the film, oh, DiCaprio's yeah. the director. Yeah. Um, or so he's the movie studio. DiCaprio's the director. Um, oh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's like the cinematographer. Yeah, Levitt yeah. is the. Um, he's the producer. Oh, uh huh. And then Ariadne is like the uh, production designer, right? The architect. Yeah. That the the British guy, uh, uh, what's his Tom name? Tom Hardy. Uh, Tom Hardy's the actor. Yeah. Yeah. Who's like bringing off the right. like heart of yeah. the thing and knowing how to play people. Did yeah. He, now is so this something like, that Nolan had? Is this a fan theory or because I I totally see no all I this, I, or, I heard people talk okay, about okay this. so this yeah. is something that's actually yeah, like looking okay, into interesting like people's. Huh. People's because people have dove so deep, you'd have to watch oh, yeah. it a million times. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, but. Well, yeah, and yeah. I think another brilliant <laughs> element of this movie is that I think it, in a way, can be all of those things. Yeah, yeah. Because it's so, it's like an onion, it's so layered and it's yeah. so, you know, deep that it like could, a dream within a dream. Exactly. A dream. It's like, you know, a dream. <laughs> well, like, yeah. but, so, so, so I started jumping, so like dreams in real life. Right. I yeah. started jumping off there because this is a very clever, like great stories a lot of times depend on this kind of a device, right? Yeah. You have all this reality that is building the story. I think of like Foucault's Pendulum, uh-huh. which is a book by Umberto Eco. It's a fantastic book, you know, and it's built on him basically weaving together every conspiracy theory in the history of Earth yeah. together. Right into one huge story, but it's based. All the connections between all those things are based on this one document. And it's a list of ten words that he uses to basically create the way all of these things fit together. And he's a semi a semiotics professor, so the story is really about how meaning and connections are formed by language. Symbolism. And our perspective on things. Because in the book, he actually, like, one other character, like, takes apart the whole theory by, like, reading the list as it, like, it's a grocery shopping list. Interesting. You know? And so, like, you realize how subjective everything you've been reading is when you see that happen. So, for Nolan in this film, that is the shared dreaming technology. That's, like, the element yeah. that yeah. lets the whole thing be possible. Right. And yet, everything about dreaming, about 
the psychology of dreams is rooted in some sort of theory and of truth like yeah, some yeah. somebody's theory about dreaming and and you know the psychology of it and how right. it all works yeah which i thought was very intriguing well, and, and let's talk about dreams for a minute because this was something that the movie got me thinking about i, I kind of thought about it the first but time but it did get you it. dreaming about it ben <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, it goes back to a idea that um, Descartes came up with, which is the modern version of it is simulation theory. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. But Descartes famously said, you know, how do you know that you exist? Because what if you're just a brain in a vat and like evil scientists are pumping chemicals the right and, chemicals yeah. and electrodes to make your brain think that it's alive? Kind of the Matrix idea, right. basically. Mm-hmm. They literally have vats in the Matrix. But um, but what if this was true? Um, and Descartes, of course, famously said, um, I think, therefore, I am. That's the mm-hmm. only way you know that you exist. Yeah. Um, which, setting that aside on, on a philosophical level, um, this whole movie is kind of part of that tradition of thinking mm-hmm. about dreams or mental experiences as being... Um, totally based on kind of what we're paying attention to. Kind of something that's real, which is the selectivity of our attention span. Right. Mm-hmm. The fact that at any given moment, we're not really aware of everything that's happening around us. Right. And when we remember it, we're even more selective, though some things we kind of didn't think about come back to us. Mm-hmm. So there's this weird mystery of why do why do our brains remember certain things or pay attention to certain things mm-hmm. and of course in a dream that's on steroids because the very few dreams i've had that were really vivid um and i've i've had vivid dreams but to me some of the most vivid dreams were some of the least tactile dreams yeah right i've only had maybe two or three dreams that to me are inception type dreams right like mm-hmm. i had one dream right after 9-11 where I was in New York City and like buildings were falling. Right. And like you could have sworn that the rocks were like yeah, hitting yeah. right in front of you, that sort of thing, or that an explosion happened. But generally speaking, those those dreams are really rare. Um, mm-hmm. And it's mostly things you just will never remember. Right, exactly, you know? yeah. Because I think, I think they say that even when you, like, I, I believe I'm reading or have remembered this correctly, that most of the time when you're sleeping, you're dreaming. It's just most of the time you don't remember. Well, right. Well, and your level of dream activity is actually really closely related to your level of life. Yeah. Like babies dream almost entirely, or they sleep almost entirely in REM sleep. Yeah. But like before you die, you quit dreaming at all. Interesting. Ooh. Huh. Ooh. So, like, your ability to dream mm. is actually connected to the degree to which you're not dead. Hmm. Wow. Well, and that's, that's interesting. interesting with the dream because they, of course, are dead. Some of them, because they can't dream without the medicine, without right. the technology. Oh, that's, right. yeah, that's a whole element. He goes to the yeah. Indian place right. and he's like, they can only dream this way. Which is a really interesting, like, much cooler read on, like, the VR problem. Like, that right. people will... Well, mm-hmm. it's a, like organic VR yeah. version, you know, yeah. of something like that. Um, which I, I, I'm with you on the like the dream because to me this is what I found really fascinating after watching the movie again and thinking about not just how many like because everybody has dreams that they remember for you. It's one of those things you either can't remember anything about a dream. Or you Even if it seems really yeah. real in the moment. Mm-hmm. But there are probably, I don't know, somewhere between six and 12 dreams yeah. that I can still remember yep. today 
that I will never forget. Right. Yeah. And the fact that, like, the idea of Inception itself, because um, are there dreams that you remember? This is a question I ask myself. Are there dreams that you remember having that you know changed your actions and the whole outcome of your life? Huh. Um, yes. Because I, I don't know. I, there was one for sure. I, I that, don't know. It, maybe it's just because of my age, but I don't know that there's one that I could say changed the outcome of my life per yeah, se. Yeah. But I can definitely say there were some that affected the way that I went and did something that next week or month, mm-hmm. if that yeah. makes sense. Huh. Now, that may come to yeah. fruition. And, well, in you know, some, it's like more Y'all are just weak-minded. I can't think of any <laughs> dreams. <laughs> well, no, James like for me, like, like, and I'll, I'll just tell the story. Like oh. for me, um, before my wife and I were really dating or serious, like mm-hmm. I, we knew we knew each other. Yeah. And we kind of toyed around with you know, maybe, you know, getting into a relation, relationship or something. And I had a dream. Yeah. And I came out of the dream waking up the next day knowing that I had to marry her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just straight up. Yeah. And I was like, because the dream was, it was a real inception-y dream, right? Because right. in the dream, I met her. Right. Like I was going to, in a few weeks, we were going to be at the same place again. Uh, I knew I was going to see her. In the dream, I saw her and like she had married some other person. Yeah. And yeah. in the dream, I was aware of like, that was not okay. Yeah. And it yeah. would never be okay. And there was nothing I could do that that would yeah. ever be okay. Therefore, I had to. Yeah. So it like, it wasn't like, it was at a moment of where like there are two roads. Right. In your right, life. Right. This dream came in and totally solidified an idea. Yeah. In my mind. Right. That right. It's never. I'm still married to her, right? Yeah, and have exactly. four kids. Yeah, so right. it's like it never left hold. And I thought right. like, it's really interesting to think about the idea because there's a spiritual aspect of dreams. Yeah. Of right. like coming to knowledge of the knowledge of things or self-knowledge in some way, or knowledge of your true feelings or not. I don't know exactly. Well, because there's a lot of different right, possibilities, right. but right. like the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, like well, yeah, to like enter yeah. your mind and, mm-hmm. you know, plant an idea that is, something you couldn't have thought up. Right. Right. Because yeah. in some sense, the idea of inception, and of course, Nolan is kind of, I guess, interpreting it through a, a humanist lens, but he's seeking after the idea of inspiration. Like, mm-hmm. where could inspiration come from? Because kind of the weirdness of inspiration is that it feels other when it comes. Right. Yeah. It's right. not something I could it have thought up. It doesn't really feel natural. Yeah. Like, there's, there's like a lot of signs that kind of point to that whether it's a yeah. scary dream and you can't move or it's mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. it's something like you said that you know you know it's something that you cannot change yeah and therefore yeah. you yeah but it's yeah it feels unnatural right and there's some bit of information that is extra yeah that you could have never yeah exactly right. could have never guessed yeah um and and in that way i i would say that inception is interesting to me because it's an example, maybe the best example of this, of almost any movie, of how if the story of Inception had been told 200 years ago, or even 100 years ago, it would have not been mental. It would have been metaphysical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It would have been, we're yeah. going to go to l- real limbo, 
right. not just well, mental limbo. We would go I to hell. I have a debate. We would go to. Well, I don't even w- know if it would have been that long ago. Yeah, I feel yeah. like even oh, even a hundred years ago. Yeah, easy. well, fifty. Well, 60? I even I even think I to like you know the Doctor Strange era. Yeah, that was really Freud. Like, I would say pre-Freud. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have post-Freud. It would have been dream. You know, yeah, well, like, well, there was still a fight after yeah. Freud. Yeah. Like you're yeah. saying, Luke. Like there was this fight between the culture, but now yeah. almost exclusively. And it's it's interesting to me because I've been listening to a book by. Um, Edward Fazer, the the Thomistic philosopher, and mm-hmm. um, called Philosophy of Mind. And one of the things he talks about is how the consciousness problem in philosophy today is like the one area that everybody, atheists, materialists, right. Christians, Buddhists, everybody, nobody knows uh, on a purely scientific level, basically right. in a way that everybody would agree on how to answer the consciousness problem. Yeah. Because it's very clear that mind and brain are just not the same thing. Like they're connected in some way, but how are they connected? Yeah. And so Inception is taking advantage of that last frontier, right? Because it is the last frontier that's mysterious. That, you know, this is one of the reasons why I think Interstellar felt kind of strange because Mm -hmm. Nolan was trying to take a spaceship out to the last frontier space. Right. But today, we don't really believe that anything's out there. Like, space is this cold, dead thing. Like, we don't even know that there's any worlds that look like Earth or whatever. So there's no real pull that space has for us like it did in the past. The only pull we have is, like, my own interiority. Yeah. You know, and how many layers do it's I have like myself? Space Odyssey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Can yeah. I find enlightenment? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I want to start a debate, okay, because <laughs> I am, and sort of this is devil's advocate, which is never a great place to be, but <laughs> I would, I, I was asking myself the question, watching this again, obviously the message is straight through the movie that the inception that DiCaprio's character performed on his wife mm-hmm. Right, that our we're living in an illusion, and this is not our real world. Right, that it how that took hold, and you know that's why she killed herself and everything. That that is the same idea he is incepting in the audience by the end. Right, that is the the movie is incepting the idea in you right. that the world is not truly real. Yeah, that's like the subtle yeah. to me the undertone of the whole film. However, there's a more subversive layer beneath that. Hmm. And that is the idea. Another layer. <laughs> yeah. The idea that limbo is at the bottom of all psychological consciousness. And can he or can he not travel through limbo to find Saito, Ken Watanabe? And if he oh. can, if they're both down there, quote, is he really in a dream world or is the entire thing of Inception a merging of dream consciousness and experience with an actual concrete belief in a spiritual world that can be traversed through the subconscious yeah. and the metaphysical? And the dreams. Well, and this is where, <laughs> bringing a little Thomas Aquinas here, or or really just Christian tradition, broadly speaking, philosophically, you know, 
the the substance of angels is uh, intellect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the you know, and God is mind. Mm-hmm. You know, or spirit, spirit and mind, and love and will and all these things are interconnected. So, in some sense, if you were to go to limbo or mm-hmm. some such place in the afterworld, you would go there in much the same way as Inception basically depicts in some way as a, you know, a disembodied right intellect that's like seeking this other intellect somewhere mm-hmm. you know in some place beyond locations even so because right. it would have to be a spiritual meso- metaphysical experience it couldn't be something that you could physically go and do right and in fact it would actually be like the only thing that remains in the afterlife really is what we sense when we're in the presence of someone else yeah. like if you think about what it is to be in the presence of another person mm-hmm. or intellect mm-hmm. That sense, the sixth sense, yeah. mm-hmm. it's really all that remains. Now, it's kind of weird because we associate that with physically being in a place. Right. But if you drop all that away, you would still have this kind of core of like being right. a, of awareness. Well, and that's why um, that's even a real physical phenomenon, you know, is yeah. that when you can, you can. You feel somebody watching you. you, you yeah, or, you can. Yeah. You can, mm-hmm. whether they're watching you or whether you are in a room and you know that you are not the only person in that room. Yeah. Like, so how is that? How is that? You know, if you can't physically see them, you know, it's, it's right, like, and it's like ghost stories. Right. Or, yeah, I mean, exactly. there's a lot of places. So you're saying you go heaven is kind of like knowing Facebook's listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hope it's a lot better than that. Is Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> an angel? <laughs> no, no. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, no. But yeah, that's. Um, I think that is really fascinating, though. Like, because that is a that is a in the story. Unless you just believe that all of it's dreams and it's all in his subconscious. Now, see, actually, every time I watch that movie, mm-hmm. and maybe this is just the optimist in me, I always assume the top is going to fall. Like, that's just... Well, it's a classic Lady and the Tiger It ending, is. Right? I know, I'm aware of yeah. that, but I, well, I always go to, it, it toppled over. That's... I, I, I default to that point yeah. also, but I also doubt that. Yeah. And that's the point. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Because we want to believe he finds his family. You right. Know? Right. Um, well, and and to to go back to what we we're saying about like the afterlife and things, I, I think it's interesting that the basic place spiritually that Nolan thinks of as being the place beyond all places, limbo. Like the way he de- the way he depicts limbo, it's essentially a place of death. Yeah. Um, just endless death. Right. Um, and actually, it reminds me of The Great Divorce, because C.S. Lewis talks about how people in hell, like in the, quote, upper regions of hell that are a little, quote, nicer, quote, unquote, um, you know, they can build things with their minds immediately. Yeah. And when they have arguments, they just create infinite distances between each other. So, like, everyone in hell is lonely, but they live in these palatial mansions with, like, right. everything they could ever want. But it's, uh, you know, it's all dust and yeah. ashes and emptiness. And that's kind of the world that Maul and yeah. DiCaprio built was this mm-hmm. lifeless world of like no meaning. Right, right. Um, or entirely self-referential meaning. And actually it's kind of interesting to me because the movie has this ambiguous relationship to what it's depicting in Limbo because in certain parts of the movie we're supposed to think of it romantically. Yeah. 
kind of in that Casablanca, we'll always have Paris, you know, we'll always have our yeah. old age in limbo and I'm going to let you go mall, you know, we had our time. But at the same time, Limbo is this place where Saito and other people can be trapped and they want to be free. And okay, so my theory... So it's this weird blending Yeah, I just did some rapid-fire research, okay? So <laughs> I had heard whispers of this. So there's a whole thing called the ring theory. Oh, I've heard of this, yeah. So it's about the wedding ring. Uh-huh. And whether or not the wedding ring is his totem. Yeah. Because the wedding ring we only see in he, all of the known dreams he's wearing the wedding ring. Right. But at the end of the movie, he does not have the wedding ring on. Mm. And they were also quote, they quote Michael Caine saying that Christopher Nolan told him point blank that the end is reality. So that's a good. Michael Caine said that. Said that, yeah, he said that Nolan told him that the end of the movie is reality. Okay. So he like totally wiped out any question. (laughs) Which actually, I find this really fascinating. So this, I love that because I like happy endings. Yeah. But uh, beyond that, it means that him finding Watanabe in Limbo was real. Yeah. So how did he find Watanabe's soul in Limbo if it was merely his own subconscious? Mm. He could not have. Well, Therefore, Limbo is the real Limbo. Well, who is the dreamer in Limbo? That's something that escaped me the second viewing. Is it DiCaprio? The third dream? Right, because you see, every dream has the dreamer, and right. the dreamer can't go one level down. Right, right. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt's the dreamer for they the hotel. Lied to, uh, no, they lied to the heir. The heir was told that he was going into uh, his godfather's dream. Right. But it was actually his own dream. Yeah. That was the ruse they played on the heir of the, the fortune. Wait, the heir is the dreamer, and he is the victim? Right. But I always thought they had to be separate in the I think he the was universe. on the first well, was he the just the first level dreamer? No, the first level dreamer is the uh, Indian guy with the fan. Because he right. the dreamer right. can't go one level he, down. Yes, exactly. So I think the air was with him all the way. Tom, right? yeah, I yeah. thought so it could, uh-huh. he couldn't have been the dreamer. I thought that Tom Hardy Dreaming the last name is the dreamer for the third level. Because he's the one who stays. Right. He keeps right. fighting the snow yeah, yeah. officer people. Yeah. And yeah. so, right at the end, Ariadne, Leonardo DiCaprio are in the dream of, I guess, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, because it's the it's the city with the ocean, right? Right. Because uh, they the just. Oh one. wait, yeah, that's right. Because they decide to go down in that scene. Right. That's right. Right. Yeah, but this is not this is not taking into account the technology that they're using to have the dream. All right. So this is a key part of Nolan's story. And so the technology they're using to have the dream, the dream is taking place, it's shared, but it's happening in all of their minds. Yeah. They're just sharing the world created by the one dreamer. Right. And so if, because for instance, if Watanabe had died in the dream and couldn't wake up, he would have been gone, right? In a vegetative state. His mind would have never come back to himself. So he would have been lost in his own mind he would not have been lost in Tom Hardy's mind. And DiCaprio right. would have been lost in his own mind if he was stuck in limbo and never came back. Yeah. Right. So the only way is that in the eons through time dilation that DiCaprio was wandering in limbo, that he found Watanabe and brought him back before they actually woke up from the dream. So you're saying that limbo is not a dream? No. 
That's that's what you're claiming. I'm I'm saying that I think you have to say because of the way Nolan resolves that part of the story mm-hmm. that Nolan believes Limbo is a shared place that you could have reached anyone that anyone could tap into. Anybody could have been mm-hmm. in Limbo. Okay, that's an interesting theory. I it's because otherwise like, it's in it's in the a subconscious of a person they're not well. In. And one thing that's in but your how favor you get is there? that. By just well, I guess just going deep enough, or dying, yeah, or, or but dying. I mean, like yeah. limbo in Catholic theology, uh-huh. right, is a part of the afterlife, right? That like Virgil, mm-hmm. okay, virtuous pagan, kind of noble person, but pre-Christ, right? Not a you know uh, faithful Hebrew or anything right. like that. Yeah. That he would go to heaven. He's not a saint, but he basically existed in limbo, right? Because in, in he's like, well, you Dante's. don't deserve. Yeah. hell so dante right. has him in limbo because you you were virtuous right. as much as you knew how to be right. but you just drift around right so it's like right. it's not a place of punishment but it's a place of just sort of drifting and is it eternal yeah interesting it's like well, and, it's like and it's not eternal subsist it'd be like the yeah. elysian fields yeah or, or oh, that that might be even positive well no, well and positive, part of it but. is that it's and a lot of this is just speculation of various writers over yeah, the centuries, yeah, yeah. but it's the the idea I think goes back to that where were where were Abraham and Adam and yeah, all of exactly. these people? They were in some kind of a place that was blessed, but it a wasn't heaven, place. right? Yeah. And it wasn't anything nicer. So they couldn't go to heaven before Christ. Presumably, right. people right. who just don't deserve, you know, which conceivably there are people like Virgil, you know, being. I guess the example of the early church that they would use was someone who kind of probably would have been a Christian if yeah. he could have been. Right. And so they put him in a place like Abraham or yeah. you know, mm-hmm. what they called limbo. Mm-hmm. But he wouldn't have been so there. So question, mm-hmm. can you enter from the other way? <laughs> <laughs> I guess you can die. <laughs> <laughs> can you come up Re-death. through limbo? <laughs> yeah, oh, right. Man. I, don't, I don't know. Um, that's interesting. That's the sequel. <laughs> well, I think, you know, for me, like, transitioning to our morals of the story, I think my moral of the story for this movie is simply that, it's what the woman on uh, the alternative version of Titanic's ending said, make each day count. <laughs> no, but, no, seriously, it's it goes back to that moment in the movie that I think is the most poignant moment where Cobb says to Maul, you know, I can't invent you. Mm-hmm. In other words, I'm just talking to myself when I'm talking to you. There's a self-referentialness yeah. to right. it. And he can't invent the faces of his kids. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a really thought-provoking and powerful idea, that when you see someone's face, mm-hmm. when you really talk to somebody, you intentionally engage this other soul in front of you. Mm-hmm. You really are engaging something made in the image of God, mm-hmm. um, this other person, and that something outside of you can, you know, impact you and change you. Um, mm-hmm. And that you're not just lost in a hall of mirrors. Yeah. That that would be the ultimate death in a way, mm-hmm. to be lost in a hall of mirrors. Yeah. Um, well, and, and just in your own mind, a world of your own making. Like, that's the ultimate boredom. Right. Well, because ultimately, really. is it is truly limited. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. in a almost a... Uh, like a prison, yeah. you know, yeah, because, yeah. you know, you're as beautiful as the, and powerful as the brain is, it is truly limiting of what can actually come of it. You well, know? and, and 
I think too, in like the power that you see in like the idea of marriage in the film mm-hmm. um, or his children um, and how really that is the power of otherness, mm-hmm. the, the power of the, of difference Yeah, that you can admire someone who is different than you, a man to a woman mm-hmm. and at the same time unite with that difference is the greatest mystery of all mysteries. Well, and honestly, yeah. that uh, insight is the, I would say, is perhaps the greatest insight of Trinitarian Christianity, which mm-hmm. is to say that literally God has within himself that kind of difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That yeah. kind of otherness yeah. is within God. Mm-hmm. That no other no other religion's ever said that. Yeah. Right. That yeah. God's Which is essence, understandably hard to wrap your head around. It like, is for, hard to wrap your head around, but that somehow that it, that that God makes is sense, at once you know? one yeah, I like and how you three. Say that. It's understandably what? impossible to understand. <laughs> I mean, true. Yeah, 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 yeah. it, it is. is. Yeah. Very good way to put that. Yeah, no, it's because because true. even with ourselves, we feel that emptiness. How empty it would be to be alone, and yeah. that's why the idea that God is alone, mm-hmm. there is no other God, mm-hmm. and yet He can't be alone. Yeah. in the way that we think of aloneness. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what the Trinity answers. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Well, and, and um, I think, too, even like that moment with his wife in his dream world, mm-hmm. the fact that he, he can enjoy it because he is fulfilling sort of his quest to perceive, mm-hmm. but yet he is, not, he is not perceiving anything other than his own projection. Yeah. Like, so she's not able to receive his admiration or focus. Yeah. Right. In a real sense. Right. You know, it's like, it's really, man, like, Descent into Hell. What an amazing book. Yeah. That book takes the cake for that because it's like the ultimate example of how that kind of self circularity of self love or self perception or narcissism becomes and how uh, how terrible it is yeah um but i guess for for my for me my moral of the story is that the i just think it portrays the movie portrays so well the failure of gnosticism in the face of the human experience and people Mm -hmm. um the fact that you know gnosticism you know is this uh heresy for that's poked its head up many times over the last couple thousand years, but essentially boils down to the belief that the physical world is evil and that only that which is pure spirit can be good. So Gnostics denied that Christ really had a physical body. Yeah. It was just an appearance of one. And this was roundly condemned by, you know, all all of the church throughout the ages. Um, except for the people that believed it, <laughs> obviously, um, <laughs> they got kicked out. But um, but that element, uh, it's it's actually a subversive message of this film because we're shown all these awesome things, you know, that are mm-hmm. imaginary, yeah. and that couldn't be real. But they're the things that we love to imagine, like being on a James Bond car hunt right you know, or chase and and all of this stuff or being in a james bond winter what's the movie with the james bond that the winter 
parkas is based from oh um, isn't it on his majesty's no secret yeah. service oh, yeah, 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 yeah. or on her Something majesty's like yeah. secret yeah. service but anyway so like they're seeing those things which are supposed to be awesome but really they're just our own kind of playgrounds yeah but they don't matter yeah right? all that matters is that we wake up and get back to our children yeah and that's right what is shown and to get me, back to reality yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Get back to that which is real, yeah. which is not ourselves. Right. Right. Well, and isn't it true though that I think it's just a fundamental insight. Anything evil, the root of evil is to distract people from the value of what's in front of them. Mm-hmm. Right. It's to if you overvalue something through idolatry, you're undervaluing something else. Mm-hmm. And what you overvalue, you lose mm-hmm. because you're no longer valuing what actually is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you idolize your wife, well, you lose your wife. You lose the thing you idolize, mm-hmm. or you lose the thing you undervalue or you neglect. Mm-hmm. So every kind of sin is always just a deleting of that intentionality mm-hmm. that God is calling you to in the yeah. moment. And to some extent, original sin, like our fallenness, is just the difficulty we have doing that. Mm-hmm. Right, the the barriers we run up against doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but Luke, yeah, what's your, what's your moral of the story? I think uh, my takeaway from it, I can't really call it a moral because I haven't actually watched this movie in a while, so I'm going off memory here. But, but you've seen it a, quite a few times. I've seen it quite it, a yeah. few times. You've yeah, only watched it what ten or eleven, twelve, times. <laughs> something like that. I watch movies like over and over. I know, I know there. I know a lot of people who don't do that. They'll like watch a movie once. Yeah. Maybe twice. Like me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you, Alex. <laughs> but I like if I if it's a movie I really like, I'll watch it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. But um so I have seen this one multiple times. But uh I uh I'm struck by just the brilliance of the human mind in and of itself. And mm-hmm. just even the thought that this story and this movie came from the mind of Christopher Nolan. So, mm-hmm. you know, all these layers to an extent actually exist within his mind. Um, yeah. and he, you know, yeah, it's I'm a, sure. it's a true, bri- truly brilliant little puzzle. Right. That yeah. He's and you know, I, I can only imagine the, the, uh, the time it took to go over all these, mm-hmm. these levels and making sure everything connected. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's really, really quite brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a lot of ways, you know, the stuff that you're seeing in the movie is, is a real phenomenon that exists, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, just even the ability our minds have to create these alternate realities, um, is kind of an amazing thing. Yeah. Just the ability to dream. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, just it's, you know, something that is interesting. All this, you know, talk about these sections of the brain that aren't actually doing anything or we don't know what they're used for. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, maybe this, maybe the film is, is posing that these, these, sections of the brain are being used to tap into something spiritual and something subconscious that we can't really um, yeah. map with, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with science or Yeah. Or in some ways the brain is at least for the materialist, like right. the scientific materialist of modern times, the brain really is the last or the mind really is the last frontier. Yeah. And that's why inception, you can even have a film like this. Cause I right. think 20, 30, 40 years ago, this would have been a metaphysical journey through yeah. the afterlife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what dreams may come. Remember that old Robin Williams movie or something. But today, the mind is the only mysterious thing left because science can't explain the mind. Right. There's just, it's impossible. Right, exactly. Um, which 
good time to plug our Audible uh, recommendation. Yeah. We actually have had several that we've discussed. One is The Great Divorce, mm-hmm. which if you haven't read The Great Divorce, you should read because the limbo section in this movie owes yeah. a lot. Yeah, I kind does. of we all kind of suspect we, that I Nolan Nolan must have might have read C.S. Yeah. Lewis's Great Divorce because it's so similar, mm-hmm. um, his vision of hell and, and Nolan's limbo. But um, but also uh, a book by. Edward Faser, um, F-E-S-E-R, called Philosophy of Mind, that uh, it's a little bit academic, but it's written for laymen, and it's just a series of thought experiments about reality, the issue of consciousness, the problem of the mind, how all sorts of different philosophical people have debated this, and it's really fascinating. Uh, dives into a lot of these inception-y questions, right. if you will. Yeah, so... Just make sure to remember, you can check that out in the show description. It's mm-hmm. audibletrial.com forward slash moral of the story, and it helps support the show. Uh, but we have a new way to support the show that we are launching today. Very exciting. We have officially launched our Patreon account, um, and this is a more direct um, way for you to actually get behind what we're doing and producing new content for you guys. So you can also check this out in the description. Um, and one of the new uh, incentives we have for you guys is some extra content. And today we are starting a new segment of the show, which is The Moral Dilemma. And mm, yeah, Ben, you want to tell us what we're going to yeah, be discussing? Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm really excited about this segment because, well, first of all, I'm excited about maybe, uh, you know, being able to buy my daughter, you know, an ice cream cone at Jenny's, which, you know, would be... <laughs> Nice. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited. You know, it's like, we're going to organize the, the levels of, based on what we can take our exactly, children out to get. Yeah, exactly. So like, if you give $5, that's like a but our ice first cream tier, cone for our, our daughters. Our first tier is not sons. losing money. Yes, exactly. <laughs> first tier is not losing money It's anymore. breaking even. Breaking even. You know, I wanted to start a $1,000 tier that is like, buy my daughter a pony. <laughs> <laughs> because being family men, pretty much, yeah, it's all going to yep. ponies and toys and ice cream. And we love that yeah we do but we, uh, we, we just we have get to go out, out and yeah. make that <laughs> yeah um so uh yeah so but today uh and the whole idea of the moral dilemma segment is that we take the plot of a story just at face value real literal we, very literally and we just ask what would we do in a universe as right. crazy our, as our main episode is usually very or uh, kind of kind of zoomed out Reading Big, out of the story. Exactly. Right. Kind of a, a broader extruding. topic. Exactly. Ooh, ooh, I like that. Extruding <laughs> the, the meat of the story. But we want to get we want to get into the is it itty gritty or nitty gritty? Nitty gritty. Nitty gritty. Nitty gritty. Itty bitty nitty gritty. The itty bitty nitty gritty. Itsy bitsy. Is that that'll be the that'll be the title of the segment. The itty gritty nitty gritty. Yeah. So if you want to hear the moral dilemma, go over to Patreon. Become Patreon.com a supporter. slash moral of the story. Yep. And you will hear our answer to the following moral dilemma. And you'll also what get... What will you do oh, yeah, wait, from uh, now on, yeah. just so you know, uh, you'll also get access to the show two days in advance. Before everyone else. So yeah. there'll be a two-day preview of the show. Um, private comments and chat, which we will read and respond to. Yep. Um, and... Other more things. stuff that we're dreaming more, more up, stuff. up. But also, y'all, we want to engage with you, the audience, about what type of content you guys would want to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have a bunch of ideas, but, you know, those are our ideas. So we would like to hear uh, some comments and suggestions of um, new things ways. Things you'd like to see. Yeah, yeah. things yeah. you'd like to see and new ways that we can uh, interact with you guys as well. So 
make sure to check all that out and because we've got lots of stuff in the pipeline. But mm -hmm. for today's episode and today's moral dilemma. The moral dilemma. <laughs> we need a sound. We need to create yeah. a, a yeah, sound I bit know. for it. But uh, yeah, so we'll see you on the other side. The moral of the story with Alex Wolliver, Luke Taylor, and Benjamin Wolliver. Please subscribe to The Moral of the Story on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen. Visit moralofthestorypodcast.com. Copyright 2020 Moral of the Story Media. <laughs>